I'm also in a unique position where patients call me when they're in desperate need. So I have to be prepared and be flexible to a certain extent to be able to treat patients on their schedule because people's backs and necks and headaches don't necessarily fall into my regular office hours. You're listening to the You Might Be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Todd, an average everyday girl with a nine to five job and a passion for storytelling. This podcast takes you behind the scenes in discovering truly inspiring personal success stories from all kinds of individuals and how they paved their way into becoming their own version of a badass. I speak with entrepreneurs, nine to fivers, stay at home moms, athletes, and everyone in between. My goal is to discover the different depths in which we define what it means to be successful. Success means something different to every person, and ultimately, if you're pursuing your passions and living life to the fullest, you too just might be a badass. What does a chiropractor do anyway? Can't I just crack my neck and it does the same thing? Admittedly, these were some of my own thoughts years ago when I was young and maybe a little bit more naive. Until my mom took me to one of her appointments and asked if her doctor could adjust me. Now, I'm not lying when I say I walked out of there as if I was floating on a cloud because my whole body felt relief. I was relaxed, sitting taller, and didn't have a weird poking thing happening in my back, which I later found out was a rib out of place. Crazy, right? Now, today, as some of you may know, I am dating and live with a chiropractor. His name is Dr. Anthony Shapiro, and he owns his own practice in Eagle Rock, Los Angeles. I thought how perfect it would be to interview him for my podcast. After a little over four years together, he shares with me some obstacles and stories that even I haven't heard, all of which just make me that much more proud of the man, doctor, and business owner that he is today. After learning about how he built his own practice, I also ask him some burning questions that his own patients have for him. I think my favorite one was, do you ever not want to touch your patients if they're dirty or sweaty? I personally wouldn't, but I enjoyed his answer a little bit more. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for coming on with me today, clearing your schedule to be with me. No problem. I'm excited to finally do this. To set things up, why don't you tell us who you are and what do you do? My name is Anthony Shapiro, and I am a chiropractor. And who do you treat in your practice primarily? Anytime I'm asked this at one of those, I guess you would call them mixers or business marketing group and things like that, they always ask the the same question, you know, give yourself a a one-minute commercial, and I always say the kind of cheesy line, I treat anyone and everyone with a spine. (laughs) Everyone from babies to senior citizens. You should make t-shirts that say that. I should. If you have a spine, I can... I feel like it should be like a a rhyme. rhyme. Yeah. If you've got a spine, I'll take off the time. I don't know. I always feel corny saying it, thinking that I'll think of, of something better, but it's all, it's kind of become a routine to me. I do a couple of these regular business mixer networking groups and I end up saying the same thing and I think people get used to hearing it. It's kind of embarrassing, but. I mean, you uh, already have cheesy lines that sign outside of your office, the Quasimodo 
Oh, I've just got a hunch. I get a lot you of, like you like the cheese. I get a lot of people taking pictures of my uh, my A-frame sign. So for people potentially who don't know, I hate to say living under a rock, but I think the term chiropractic care um, maybe has some of its own personal meanings to people. Maybe they don't fully know what it is. So how would you describe what chiropractic is? So the way I practice chiropractic is kind of the way chiropractic was practiced 100 years ago and how it was originally originally developed. So it would be the detection and correction of a vertebral subluxation, meaning finding the vertebrae that is not moving properly or out of place, putting pressure on the nerves or the segment of the spinal cord that those vertebrae protect and putting those segments back into motion to take the pressure off the nervous system in that area to reduce inflammation to the ner- to the muscles and soft tissues around there. Muscle When a muscle or soft tissue is inflamed, that causes pain, discomfort, lack of motion, and that comes from a fixated joint or a vertebrae that is not moving properly. So the way I practice specifically is focusing on the spine and adjusting the spine and increasing range of motion in the spine to increase function and decrease pain. Is that different from other chiropractors? Not to say that one is necessarily greater than the other. I know that everyone's obviously careful about, you know, talking poorly on somebody else's practice or how they how they treat their patients. But would you say that your method or techniques is any different or outside of the norm or? It's probably different from most chiropractors that people go to on a, that you'd see you know, passing down the street, you see in the strip mall building that says chiropractor, probably a lot different than most most chiropractors, just in that I focus on strictly the detection and correction of vertebral subluxation or fixated joint and the chiropractic adjustment, putting that joint back into motion, putting that joint in the place that it needs to be. Most chiropractors, kind of what you alluded to, I don't like to talk down on other chiropractors, but there's a lot of chiropractors that, in my opinion, spend a lot of time and energy on these different machines and fancy techniques that aren't focusing on the chiropractic adjustment, which sets chiropractors apart from any other type of healthcare provider. Yeah. I feel like to your point, you know, obviously before I met you, I had a different chiropractor and there were a lot of different machines or handheld tools that he would use. And again, not to say that that's wrong, but I've, I've just kind of come to notice your practice a little bit and you obviously are a little bit more, you know, you just focus on your hands and you kind of treat that way. Have my hands and my adjusting table. That, that, that's the only that's tools that I have in my office. <laughs> as far as equipment, it's pretty uh, boring and plain, but I think that definitely sets it apart. And a lot of people are shocked that we can get a lot of very good results with just those things, not a lot of bells and whistles. A lot of people say, oh, that's all you do. That's, that's you, just, you just adjust. You don't use any, any tools. And I say, that is what I do. That's I adjust. All I need to. That's all I need to do. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, so I want to talk a little bit about your road getting here. At what point did you know that you wanted to be a chiropractor? Well, I grew up around chiropractic. My uncle, who is not only my uncle, he was also my neighbor growing up, is a chiropractor. And I just grew up around it. I kind of took an interest probably... I was in middle school and more so in high school, and then that kind of led me into college, kind of choosing a major, into undergrad, choosing a major that was really involved with anatomy and physiology and things like that. And probably about my last year in college, I decided that that's what I was going to do. I kind of had two career options. 
my father was a, a police officer, so my entire life I assumed I was going to be a police officer until about my last year of college. I decided I spent all this time studying. I might as well keep going to school. Yeah. So what is what is schooling like for becoming a chiropractor? So you obviously have your undergrad, but then you also have to go to graduate school. Um, how, how long was that? What did you study? In undergrad, I studied exercise science, which is just a in, within kinesiology, uh, heavily focused in the sciences, which led pretty well to chiropractic school because you know, the chiro- chiropractic school, especially in the first year, is all science-based. So you have to have all your science bases just to get in. Uh, after that, it is four years of chiropractic school. Uh, so it took quite a while, but I'm very happy that my major in undergrad was so science-based because I didn't have to take extra time. A lot of people, if they don't have such a science-based background before chiropractic school, you have to do two years of prerequisites just to meet all the base, basic science requirements to start chiropractic school. Yikes. So I you would kinda, be in school for six years, potentially? Well, I was in school for eight years, but some people are in school for longer than that, depending on the same thing with you know medical school. If you don't meet the requirements with your major, sure, you have yeah. to go meet the, the prereqs. But it's two years of prereqs if it's not included in your major already. Wow. I hate to get into negative so quickly, but was there ever a point where you were kind of second guessing your decision? My first week of chiropractic school. I <laughs> kind of wish I didn't do it. <laughs> Too much studying or, or what? It's just very intense. It's it's just a very each each semester is very compact. Your take your first semester of chiropractic school I think is twenty one units and it only Jeez. it hovers around twenty one units. It goes up for a couple of semesters and I think the lowest you ever take is eighteen units. I think that's like your last semester of chiropractic school is only eighteen units. But it's just very condensed and a lot more a lot more concentrated than undergrad. Undergrad looking back at undergrad, undergrad seemed like a joke compared to chiropractic school, but that's just you have to, if you compare it back, I didn't. You don't think about it at the time of when you're an undergrad how you know, how easy it is. But when you're looking back, you kind of wish you went to undergrad. Because similar to how I felt in undergrad compared to high school, like oh, yeah. high school was really easy. Yeah. Compared to this. Did you have any? Um, I don't even know how to put it because I don't think the term is clinical. But did you have any like in-person hours that you had to do outside of the classroom, like an internship or like in chiropractic school? Yeah. Yeah, so the last year of, of chiropractic school, on top of the academic portion, you are an intern for a year before you graduate. And there's certain requirements that you have to meet as far as how many patients you see, how many different case types you see. My first two semesters of chiropractic school, so chiropractic school is trimesters. My first two semesters of my last year of chiropractic school was in the school clinic. So basically, in a student clinic where we're seeing the public, but we're under supervision of doctors that are that that are part of the school, that are instructors. In my last semester of chiropractic school, I interned at the Dallas VA Hospital, functioned as chiropractor for for veterans. That's really cool. That was also very intensive, but it was it was very cool. It was a very good, very interesting experience working in a hospital as a chiropractor. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so post school, you've graduated. Um, what happened next? How did you kick off your business? Well, the plan was always, once I started chiropractic school, the plan was always to work, start practice with my uncle. So that's what I did right out of school. I graduated in December, mid-December, and I think the first week of January, 
I was practicing with my uncle. He'd been in practice for a long time, he, close to 30 years now. But he is where I got my, my start. I luckily had a good system to, to jump right into and a good system to learn from right off the bat with not only a good chiropractor, but my family. So I had a very good, I had a good transition from school into practice. Yeah, I'm sure that's a unique case for a lot of people who are leaving school. I'm, I'm sure some of your friends probably didn't have that same situation and, and maybe took a little bit longer to kind of get started or establish themselves. I definitely felt like I had a very unique learning experience, but I also felt like I had kind of the inside track just because I got to see more of the inner workings of a practice as opposed to going and working somewhere just as a regular employee. Yeah, this, yeah. I wasn't necessarily an employee, but I also got to learn the inner workings of a practice just because very close with my uncle and my whole family. Yeah. Yes, you're very close with your family. So that's really cool. Marketing. So obviously, you know, you're, we just talked about you're on the inside, you have a little bit more of a, an easier, quote unquote, easier time. I, I'm not, you know, downplaying what, what you had to work to start out. Um, but how did you market yourself and find patience starting out? Starting out is, it's pretty tough it, uh, to ga gather a patient base. You just, it's about uh, embedding yourself in the community, doing different events, just meeting people. And one, you get one patient and that leads to their husband or that leads to their children. So there's a lot of outreach, but then the, I also think the best marketing is just providing a good product or service. Uh, I could spend all day at a marketing, marketing event and I'll get one patient out of it. And you know, eight hours of work for one patient doesn't seem like that that great of a return, but when you provide a good product or service, that one patient turns into a lot, a lot of referrals. I think the most important marketing is just providing a good product or a good service to patients because word of mouth is the best thing. I could brag about myself all day at a health fair, but what really goes you a long wouldn't. way. You <laughs> wouldn't. That's I, not your style. Essentially, when you go to those things, you're trying to brag about yourself and tell people about what you can do for them. But yeah, no, what, that's true. That's true. But really, what goes a long way and what's going to grow your business is, is referrals. And that's where I focus a lot of my energy on, uh, especially in the beginning. I did do more, more marketing, and more outreach, going to different businesses and doing a lot of talks, which I still do kind of tough right now, but I still do. But I really, I think the main, the main uh, way to build my business and to market, I guess, is just to be very good at what I do. And that's how I get most of my referrals. I remember a couple of years ago um, when we were first talking or dating, um, you had told me that somebody didn't want to have you treat them because you looked so young. Do you find that that's common or have you, have you come across that again? I've only come across that one time. People mentioned to me that I look too young when they finally say, oh, you're Dr. Shapiro. They look at me and they say, like, wow, you're very young. But only one time when someone actually didn't want to be seen by me because I look too young, which Her I, guess loss. <laughs> I guess I could take as a compliment also. Okay, so let's get into you moving out onto your own and starting your own business. First of all, you literally built your own business. I physically built it, yes. <laughs> which is really crazy. I've always known you to be super handy. I don't know that I've 
well, I can't say ever seen you without a tool nearby, but it's pretty rare that you don't have something close by, a knife or a hammer or a drill. It's pretty much always in sight. Um, but I think that was the first time that I actually watched you put something together at that big of a of of a scale. What do you what do you think gave you the knowledge and the confidence to do that? You went to go seek out a place of business and you saw just an open space. Where did you go from there? The first was just necessity. When you especially when you're starting out, you want to save money and every every aspect as you can when you're setting up your business and building it yourself is a huge huge savings. But luckily I do have the skills I grew I grew up building skateboard ramps, building skateboards, building motorcycles, building bicycles. So I have pretty much every tool that would be needed to make what I needed. I also did get some some experience about building an actual chiropractic office, a chiropractic setting when I first joined practice with my uncle. Him and I, we did it together to set up my office to incorporate me into his clinic. But I've just kind of grown up and developed the skills over the years. And luckily I was in a position where I haven't had the skills and the tools and uh, I definitely needed to save money because I was spending every penny I had to open up my own office. So it just kind of all came together. You talk about wanting to save money. How did you budget for a brand new business for yourself? I'm sure that there's all sorts of things that you have to pay for, maybe unforeseeable costs, but how did you initially map out your budget? It wasn't so much about the budget about building it, building it out. The materials cost a certain amount, which, you know, it's basically just computers and lumber. And I had the chiropractic tables. So more so than knowing I had the budget to build it out would be to kind of figure out if I had the practice or patient base to sustain it once it was built. That was the bigger, mm. bigger issue for me and the bigger, more of the budget I had to plan. That was monthly costs. There's a set, set cost to building an office and it could be very cheap. If, if you build it yourself with a few hundred dollars in, in lumber. But to me, the bigger issue was, will I be able to sustain this? Will I be able to pay my rent, pay my, all my, the insurance, my malpractice insurance? And that was a bigger calculation that I had to do. And what really took, took a while to, to figure out before I actually was able to jump off and say, okay, now my practice is established enough where I can sustain on my own. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. What is your team structure like? Who's in the office with you? There is no team structure. It is <laughs> me, myself, and I. I greet patients, I treat patients, and I check them out and schedule their next appointment. And I do have a massage therapist that works in my office, but he's a contractor, so it's kind of me on my own. I do schedule his his massages, and I, I deal with with the scheduling. Other than that, it's just me by myself. So I definitely, although I, w- I was practicing for several years in another office, there was, it was definitely a learning curve because there's some things that I just didn't have to do practicing in a, an established office with a group of people as opposed to solo practice. So there was a learning curve, but I was able to pick up, pick up on it pretty quickly. But yeah, just just me, which I kind of like, but sometimes it's overwhelming. Yeah, uh, when you get busy. When I get busy, it's it's a little overwhelming. So I probably, if it wasn't for the coronavirus, I probably would have had to hire somebody already. Because your business slowed down. Initially, yeah, it slowed down a little bit, and I don't think it grew as fast 
as it would have the first couple months before the coronavirus. I was growing so fast that I probably would have had to hire somebody by the third or fourth month. And after around March and April, things kind of slowed down my whole, not only in my office, but my whole, the whole neighborhood of, of where my office is. Right. I think that's actually probably pretty important to point out is that you branched out on your own in January of 2020. Mm -hmm. And what is that? Eight weeks later was when the stay at home orders went into place. So we've talked about this a little bit, but, you know, obviously people are being told to shelter in place, to not go anywhere. Nobody knows what kind of human contact you know, what that will do to you. So um, that's an important note of eight weeks into kicking off your own business and having this, you know, promising future for your business. Um, that was probably pretty scary for you. Yeah. Initially, the first couple of weeks of, of all the coronavirus stuff was kind of scary. I didn't really know what was going to happen. The first week I had a lot of patients just cancel their appointments and cancel everything. But after a few weeks, things started to pick up and everything kind of stabilized. Yeah, it kind of went back to normal. But now that it seems like people are getting kind of tired of staying home so much and things have been picking up not only around around my business, but just the neighborhood in general, which helps my business. And yeah. I've been actually the past for about a month now, I've been getting to the point where it's a little tough to run on my own now. I think one of the my favorite things about your business is that you are paperless. You're you're all electronic. So when people come into your office, they're checking in on an iPad and they're not filling out um, physical paperwork. That for me is the most annoying part about going to a new office is when they hand you a clipboard and it's five pages front and back and you're signing the exact same thing over and over again. And I'm sure that they still have to fill out information, but it's just not as as taxing um, and probably helps you out a little bit too. You don't have to manually enter things in. You don't have to scan documents or, you know, keep a big filing cabinet worth of stuff. So just acknowledging that that's a cool thing. It definitely helps. It enables me to run the office on my own, that everything is electronic and kind of patients check in on their own and the, the wait list is already generated and I, I can just see patients very quickly on my own. Uh, but then it was also in the beginning it was more of a cost saving thing uh you know less i don't have to hire somebody to greet patients or get patients checked in or help patients fill out paperwork kind of everything just automated so in the beginning it was kind of just out of cost saving i kind of found what system i like which software i like but now it also allows me to sorry there was a plane overhead i wasn't sure if people would be able to hear you or not but we'll find out um, what did you learn from your first office that you brought with you to your, your own practice? I really learned how to learn and operate a, a business. Chiropractic school, they teach you how to pass boards and not hurt somebody, <laughs> but uh, running a business is a lot different than treating somebody in a classroom setting or in a, the student clinic where everything's controlled and it's a very controlled environment and everything's taken care of for you. Being able to give quality care to patients while at the same time running a business and staying profitable, that's two different things. That's a whole skill in itself is learning how to talk to patients when it comes to finances and and things like that. That was 
definitely a big learning curve, a big learning curve when I initially started my started practice right out of school, but then also another big learning curve when I'm doing it on my own with my own systems. I had to adapt systems that I liked uh, with when I was practicing with my uncle and I adapted it into my own office and hope that the community that I moved my, my practice to would be um, susceptible or not susceptible, but open to the type of practice that I was practicing in a different, different community, different communities have, uh, have different practice models that work better in, in those areas. So I had to adjust my practice model to fit the community that I'm, I was moving to. As an entrepreneur and a business owner, I'm fairly certain that there's plenty of misconceptions out there. What do you think are some of the biggest ones for you specifically? The biggest one is that when I'm not in my office, I'm not working. I am always working, whether that be always doing some sort of, I guess, advertising or marketing. You know, I could be speaking to a stranger at the grocery store and that patient is a potential or that person is a potential patient when they find out I'm a chiropractor or I'm at a social function and someone says, oh, hey, here's a chiropractor. And I feel like I'm always marketing. But then on top of that, I'm also in a unique position where patients call me when they're in desperate need. And so I have to be prepared and be flexible to a certain extent to be able to treat patients on their schedule because people's backs and necks and headaches don't uh, necessarily fall into my regular office hours. So that's a, that's the biggest thing. And my uh, big thing for me is to portray that to people around me that I'm close to. It's hard for people to understand that we can be having a nice Sunday and all of a sudden I have to go to work. I think you are. <laughs> You're looking <laughs> you know at me on that one. <laughs> I'm talking about. Just like a couple of weeks ago on, on your birthday, after having a nice day by the pool, I had a patient who could barely walk and was in desperate need of help. And had I not gone and helped her, she would have been in pain all day and probably gone to another chiropractor that's not as good as me. Definitely not. <laughs> Well, I want to talk about a couple of like technical questions that might sound like a foreign language to some people, but we can we can keep it surface surface level. How are you treating somebody like for, for me, for instance, I know that I get chronic headaches. So I look to you to adjust my neck in a certain way. And sometimes you even have, you know, tricks up your sleeve that I've never seen before. You know, you'll have me sit up in a chair a certain way or lay down in a certain way and you move your hands in a different way. What are kind of the, the, the specific techniques that you're using to treat a headache versus somebody who's pregnant, let's say? So when I treat a person with a headache, most headaches come from, come from some issue going on in the, in the neck and the cervical spine. So say I have a patient that comes in that has a an issue with the neck and they complain of headaches. So that's that's my the first thing I go to. But the the way I treat, uh, say, a pregnant woman or someone with a headache, although they have there's different symptoms, different things going on, I kind of treat them the same. In that, even though if your your neck is bothering you, I do want to focus on your neck. But we have to make sure that the entire spine is moving properly and that it's moving in accordance with other parts of the spine. So if your neck is bothering you, although it's very important to adjust your neck and there's different techniques to adjust the neck to make sure that headache goes away, we have to make sure that your mid-back and your low back and your pelvis is moving properly to maintain the movement that we gained in your neck. And there's a similar concept when it comes to 
say a pregnant woman, you know, a pregnant woman is having a whole different sort of issues than someone that comes in with a headache, a similar concept. We have to maintain motion in the hips, but I'm also looking at the neck to make sure the neck is moving well because the exact opposite is that headache patient, the neck is going to affect the low back where most of pregnant moms are having a lot of their issues. That's where all the action is going on. So although there's different specific techniques to treat very specific symptoms, I treat each patient similarly in that I treat them, treat the full spine and make sure everything is moving the way it should. So that way these specific symptoms can improve. I, I admittedly was singing a song in my head during that. It reminded me of that nursery rhyme where it's like the shin bones connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bone, you know, do There's you know a lot, that of, song? A, lot of, a lot of truth to that. You'd yeah. It's be, all connected. You'd right? You'd be surprised when someone sprains their ankle and I tell them, Oh, your back's going to hurt in a couple of days. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And then sure enough, they're in my office saying, yeah, my back really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> no, because your foot is connected to your leg, which is connected to your hip, which is connected to your back, which is why when someone comes in with low back pain, we're looking at the whole body, not just that low back issue where the pain is. The pain can be very deceptive uh, yeah. when it comes to where the actual problem is. The body's crazy like that. Um, so we can pivot into something that's a little bit more fun. Um, we asked your patients to submit anonymous questions for you and put it in a box. And I'm going to read them for you without you having seen them before. So let's get started. How, how do you know that you're not going to kill me when you do an adjustment? <laughs> I think I know which patient that is. <laughs> he says that all the time. But I practice a lot. And if you're using proper technique, it is actually very hard to hurt somebody. As long as you know the anatomy and how the anatomy is supposed to move, it's hard to hurt someone as long as you're using proper technique. But with that said, it makes me cringe to see someone who doesn't know what they're doing crank on someone's neck or twist somebody's low back and hip. I, I saw that at a restaurant not that long ago. And it really made me cringe because you can actually really hurt somebody if you don't know what you're doing. Of course. And you yeah. move a joint in, in a wrong direction. Yeah. Do you ever not want to touch someone like if they are dirty or sweaty? No, you have to get over that. <laughs> People come in after their workouts and they all, always apologize. Oh, I'm no. sorry, sweaty. I'm sorry. I'm sweaty. I'm sorry. This, I'm sorry. That. And I tell them, I don't even notice. I touch sweaty people's backs for a living. So uh, people sweat doesn't bother me. And I wipe the tables down after each patient. So even if there's a, someone who's all dusty, not a big deal. That's Yeah, it's gone in a minute. I feel like we covered this, but let me know if there is something you want to expand on. Explain the meaning behind the term chiropractic. Chiropractic, the root word means by hand. So I... Tr I like to think that I practice the way chiropractic was developed for is by hand. I, I think that the literal root word of Cairo means by hand. That's why I practice that way. Wait, are you wearing your chiropractic shirt right now? I am. <laughs> I'm wearing a shirt with BJ Palmer on it. He is the developer of chiropractic. Did you do that on purpose? I actually didn't. <laughs> you weren't trying to get into the zone? No, this is a, this is my uh, my chiropractic shirt. I, forget, <laughs> I didn't even realize that. That's really funny. What is the youngest patient you have ever treated? 14 hours. Jesus. And that was the patient's first child. And she brought her to me 14 hours after she gave birth. And I saw her yesterday. And she's pregnant with her fourth child. 
Wow. And I adjusted her three little boys who are all under three years old. <laughs> I adjusted her while she's six or seven months pregnant with her fourth child. Wow. Full house. That's awesome though. I didn't, I mean, I knew that you had adjusted babies, but I actually think I did know the 14 hour thing. You probably, I think you texted me that day saying that somebody came straight to the hospital from the hospital to you. That's the youngest. I thought that was, that might be a record. (laughs) We'll see. We're going on record today. Do you treat animals too? I do. I adjust dogs. Dogs, just like human beings, have a spine. When that spine is not moving properly, it puts uh, pressure on the nervous system and causes pain and inflammation. Uh, obviously, a dog can't tell you, hey, my back's hurting, but they express in different ways. Maybe they're limping. Maybe they're protective when you're petting them over a certain area, or maybe they're developing uh, you know, some arthritis, some... some a lot of different issues, actually. I've seen dogs that haven't uh, haven't pooped or peed in a few days, and you oh. <laughs> you adjust them, and all of a sudden they're they're going right there in the office. It sounds crazy, but because dogs don't express pain the same way that that people do, their symptoms manifest in, in things like that sometimes. That makes me really sad. Babies also, you see that a lot in babies. Baby can't necessarily tell you that his low back is hurting, so. A lot of their symptoms manifest in digestive issues or or uh, nursing nursing issues also. Yeah, don't you like when you twist the the foot a certain way, like their neck turns or something like that? So if you hold a baby by basically its thighs upside down, this works. Don't do this at home, <laughs> professionals only. <laughs> if you hold a baby by its thighs upside down, a baby's been upside down for nine months, so it's used to that position. This reflex only works for babies until they're about six months old. But when you extend the hip and flex the knee, the baby has a natural reflex to turn its neck to that direction. But we can see that a baby has an issue in its neck or mobility in the neck when you extend one hip and, and bend that knee. If the baby can't turn its head, it twists its whole body. It tells you exactly where, where the issue is in the neck because there's a very few specific joints that that cause that that's so crazy the last question are you seeing anyone special any patients <laughs> no <laughs> no that means are you dating anybody oh yes <laughs> your podcast host rachel todd is um, my lovely girlfriend um also i snuck that one in that wasn't one of your patients <laughs> i like how you thought i was talking about a special patient. I thought it was a patient question. Well, that's very sweet. Very endearing of you. What would you say is the most rewarding part for you of being a chiropractor? When people tell me that they're able to do things that they haven't done in a long time and that, and a lot of times people don't really, sometimes they tell you that they're feeling better, but when you see things that they write about you on like Yelp or uh, Google business and things like that they really go elaborate and they explain stuff that for some reason they don't want to tell you in person or they just haven't they don't have the thought but when they really write it out and say i haven't been able to do this in so long or like something active yeah something something active or something easy as i haven't been able to sit at my desk for uh, for a period of time without getting a headache or something like that just the fact that you make someone's life a little bit easier 
that kind of that makes me smile. Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody who wants to be a chiropractor? Maybe somebody who's you know in high school or college and they have this thought or dream to become a chiropractor. What would you say to them as advice? You just have to get used to having a very low quality of life for a couple of years while you're in school. Oh my God. I was not expecting that. Yeah, when your first year and a half of chiropractic school, your life is pretty miserable. And that, that was a big part of the reason why I regretted my decision initially. Because you go to school, class starts at 7 o'clock, so you leave your house before the sun is up, and you're in class and on campus until... Eight or nine o'clock, so you're not getting home until it's dark, and you're not at working. You're just at school studying. <laughs> so that was the first couple of years. Just are really miserable. So just get ready to power through. Just to power through, yeah. Just got to focus on uh, focus on after school, not focus on uh, what you're doing now, because it can really get you down. But it's all worth it because that rewarding feeling that you get when your patients tell you how much you've. Oh, my job is so easy now. So. <laughs> I want to segue into a little section that I do with all of my guests in order to get to know them on a little bit of a deeper level. Obviously, I have a leg up with you, (laughs) Um, so I probably know these answers, but for people who are listening, let's dive in. What are some of your non-negotiables for the week that set you up for success that makes you feel like you have, you know, a balanced life? I like a couple different things. Uh, one thing I within the past year I really like to do and it helps me clear my mind and get ready for the day is just to get up early and just do something kind of mindless. Whether it be water the lawn or do the, the dishes actually is kind of mindless for me <laughs> and it's kind of fun. Not fun, but it just gives me something to kind of relax my mind for a little bit. The past three weeks, I was getting up really early and watching the Tour de France, which is really great. So I really enjoyed doing that because it's just kind of a relaxing thing to do in the morning before work. Uh, another thing kind of leads into the same thing. I like to get to work early and just put on music really loud and just <laughs> clean and vacuum the office. <laughs> just I get a wet rag and wipe down all the surfaces and I just vacuum and I just think about nothing before patients get there. So that's those are kind of one and the same. So I like to get up early and do kind of nothing at my house while I'm getting ready. And then that, if all goes well, I can get to work early and do nothing in my office for a while to clear my head before I see patients. So when I'm with patients, I really like to focus and, and really focus on, the, on what I'm doing at the time. So at the end of the day, I'm really mentally tired. Who knew you were such a cleaner? Maybe you should put some of that energy into the house, you know, if you want to vacuum here or... It's not so much the cleaning, it's just doing something that's not related to work. I see. I see. Another non-negotiable, I just thought about, or I didn't just think about this, but is I always have to have a project outside of work. I know it can gets on your nerves sometimes, but I always have to have a project, <laughs> be that a motorcycle, a bicycle, or my car, or just a project that I got to work on. So I'm always tinkering in the garage and working on cars and motorcycles and bikes, but that gives me something to kind of work towards because that's kind of my, I guess, my reward or treat at the end of the day or at the end of the week. I could just sit in the garage and play with the new toy that I got and really make it shine. Well, to clear my name a little bit, because you kind of threw a little stick at me, 
it's it's not that you have hobbies it's just you've got I think we found out this weekend in cleaning the garage which is where we're sitting right now and it's so freaking hot but we counted eight bikes eight bicycles and there's two motorcycles and there's 15 skateboards so there's only two of you well before me there's two of you living here and you've got enough toys for like 15 people i'm going to the bike swap meet this morning or this weekend too so hopefully i'll get add a little bit to the collection all right last question for you and it's kind of the the big one that i leave for last and the reason why i do leave it for last is because i think that the term success means something different to everybody so what does it mean for you Success would be to provide a product and or service that people want and to be able to make a living doing that. That's good. Where can people find you online? Where is your office located, actually, first of all? My office is located in Eagle Rock, California. It's called Chiropractic House. And my website is chiropractic-house.com. And also you can find me on Instagram, chiropractic underscore house. Chiropractic underscore house. And it's ran by my social media intern. (laughs) Rude. It's me. (laughs) I'm not the intern. You're the intern. Well, thank you so much. This was really fun, even though we are... I am sweating in this really hot garage, but it was really nice to get to know a little bit more of a a deeper level on, you know, what fueled you these past couple of years and, and getting your business started. Um, It's one thing to be your girlfriend and kind of watch it from the outside, but it's really special to learn about all of the, um, you know, the different challenges and, and things that you overcame in order to get here and be successful so thank you thank you all right that's it for today don't forget to follow along for more on instagram at you might be a badass podcast and let me know your thoughts about today's show and i'll see you again same time same place next week